Well, good morning, church. Thank you for being a resilient church. We continue to be resilient in coming to church and face masks. Um, nobody wants to wear those, but uh, we're trying to uh, protect each other and honor uh, the wishes of uh, what our country's trying to do. So thank you for that. Thank you for also worshiping a God who's resilient. Amen? Amen. Our God is a way maker. And there are people here today who need to know that God will make a way for you. Amen. I just got done texting someone a few minutes ago and they were in the midst of a difficulty. And I simply put the word way maker. Our God will make a way for you in the situation you find yourself in. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you're making a way. Father God, thank you for being resilient. Thank you for not giving up on us. In the midst of all the craziness that's going on in our world, in our lives, we pray, Father God, that we would see that you have the power to transform what the enemy meant for evil into good. And God, may you do good things here this morning in the lives of your people. May we go from here and be your agents of goodness and grace and mercy. So speak to us today. May you be glorified. May you be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So we're in this sermon series, Resilient. We are one more week after this week. We talk about resilience and legacy next Sunday. Grace Samir will be preaching in this room and she's going to do a, a fantastic job. So today I want to catch us up in regards to God being resilient in the life of Joseph. And, and I want to take a minute to go back to where this whole Joseph story begins. It begins in chapter 12 of Genesis. When God makes a promise to Abram, he says in Genesis 12, I'll make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. A promise to Abraham. A promise that Joseph is about to fulfill here in the book of Genesis. A promise that still is present in the church today, that God intends his church, the people of God all over the world, to be a blessing to the families of the earth. But there's a problem. And Joseph experiences this problem, that evil keeps plotting with people to mess up God's plans to bless the people on the earth. The enemy planted evil in the hearts of Joseph's brothers through jealousy. And jealousy can be a thing that can tear a family apart. Through their jealousy, they plotted against Joseph and sought to destroy his dreams. What they didn't know is they were also attempting to destroy God's dreams for his people. But God wasn't done yet. I want to make sure you hear this truth this morning. If you don't hear anything else, and I'm going to say it a bunch of times, but our God has the power to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it to good. Our God has the power to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. So as we look back on the story of Joseph, to recap the story, we, a few weeks ago we heard a sermon on how Joseph's brothers, because of jealousy, because of hatred, because of evil, threw him in a pit and sold him as a slave to Egypt. And when Joseph gets into Egypt and becomes a part of Potiphar's household, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and he refuses and she accuses him anyway and he gets thrown into prison. But even in prison, even that the evil 
that tried to derail God's plan for Joseph, God turned it to good. And God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. And so Joseph goes from the prison into the palace where he interprets this strange dream that Pharaoh has, that Egypt will have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine and food shortage. And because of his wisdom, because of God's Holy Spirit being with him, he gets put in position as prime minister. Can you see the theme? That God took what the enemy meant for evil and turns it into good. Joseph is going to oversee a global crisis, a global food shortage brought on by a severe drought. And as we pick up the story this morning, it's 22 years later that his brothers, the same brothers that sold him into slavery, come to Egypt to buy food because their families are starving to death. Starving to death. See, Abram got a promise from God that I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. And now we see that God is using Joseph to feed his own family, feed a nation. Now, if you read the story, and it's in chapters 42 through 50, and I'm going to pick parts of it out of there. So if you haven't read Genesis 42 through 50, go home today and read it, or if you're online today, read it from your home. But Joseph recognized his brothers immediately. They didn't recognize him. He could have ordered them killed, but he chose mercy over revenge. So the big question I have for you today, there's going to be two questions. This is the first one. Why did Joseph reject revenge? Why did he reject revenge? How many of us would have been able not, been able not to give revenge after our family members sold us into slavery, disrupting our God-given dream? I believe there's a couple reasons. The first, I believe, is Joseph chose forgiveness in the years of plenty. In Genesis 41, we read this. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Now, I believe that what that passage means is that Joseph chose to forgive his brothers chose to forgive his family and God helped him forget all the harm that his family had caused him. He was able to move on with his life to his God-given purpose. He didn't stay resentful. He didn't ask the what-if questions. He didn't become bitter. Now, how many of us here this morning have a hard time with this forgiving and forgetting? Anybody? Come on now. It is hard to forgive and forget. I want to unpack it for a minute. Isaiah 43, 25. God speaking. I am the one who erases all your sins for my sake. I will not remember your sins. Whenever we confess our sins to God, he forgives them. What does it mean when he says, I will not remember your sins? Now, I believe that God is all knowing. And I believe that God doesn't forget anything. But what does it mean? I believe it means this, that when we ask God to forgive us of our sins, he no longer holds those sins against us. He no longer holds them against us. When we forgive others, 
we no longer hold their sins against them and we can move forward in our Christian walk. You see, Joseph was able to move forward because he didn't hold his brother's sins against them. He chose to live in victory instead of living as a victim, as a choice. If we've been harmed, we've been hurt, we can become a victim. But Joseph chose to live in victory. He chose to live with purpose instead of putting his life on hold. There's somebody here today who you're putting your life on hold because you're hung up about a hurt, a harm from years ago. Joseph was able to be a conqueror instead of a captive to pain. I shared a few weeks ago part of my story of how I grew up with a lot of hurt, a lot of harm. It was my senior year in seminary and I decided to take a class that was being taught by Dr. Donald Joy, a brilliant professor who taught on moral development and the theology of, of moral development. And I don't know why I waited to my last year to take the class, but it was the last semester of my seminary experience. And so I'm going to date myself. So I took my registration card <laughs> and I walked up to his, to, the, to his table and I laid down my registration card and Don Joy read my name, Jeff Kersey. And he said these words. I've never forgot these words. He said, I've been watching you walk these halls for three years. And there's something about you that I need to know. I want you to come by my office and tell me your story. Well, I'd never had a professor ever ask me to do that in college or in seminary. In college, I had a professor come say, come back because I want to tell you what a bad student you are. But so I walked into Don Joy's office, told him my story and how that my mom had, had uh, left us when we were five and, and uh, was raised by my, in a foster home for a little while. And then my dad remarried when I was seven, got divorced when I was 14. My sister ran away from home at 15. I became a Christian at 14. And my life had been transformed by the grace of God. And Don Joy said this to me. He said, that's what it is. That's what I've seen on your face for the last three years. I've seen the grace of God on your face. You see, with God's help, wasn't me, but God's help, I chose to move on. I chose to forgive and God helped me forget the harm that was caused. God's calling somebody here in the room today to forgive and to forget the harm that was brought to you. See, I love it that when Joseph reveals the meaning of the dreams to Pharaoh, Pharaoh gives him an Egyptian name. And you know what the Egyptian name, which I can't pronounce, means? God speaks. God speaks. I believe that God speaks out of our hurt. And God speaks when we've been harmed because we can talk about the grace of God. We can talk about the healing power of God. We can talk about the, the deliverance of God, that this God we serve is a way maker. He'll make a way. Joseph chose forgiveness, but also Joseph remembered his dreams. He remembered his dreams that he had as a 17-year-old. I want to pick up the story in Genesis 42. Since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. 
Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. In verse nine, and he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. You see, his brothers didn't recognize him and they bow at his feet as an Egyptian official. But what they're doing, they're fulfilling the dream that Joseph had as a 17-year-old. God was keeping his promise he made to Joseph. You know, Joseph didn't let pain of his past or the prosperity of the present cause him to forget his dreams. And I want to just challenge anyone here today who's given up on your dream. When life gets complicated, when life gets hard, don't give up on your dreams. God is preparing you for his God given purpose. Joseph was resilient and held on to his dreams. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, you are never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. Somebody say amen to that. God wants to give us dreams to go and change the world. Now, while Joseph remembered his dreams, it's important to read here in Genesis 42, a little bit later in the chapter, that the brothers remembered their deeds. Speaking among themselves, they say, clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. There's somebody listening today that's in trouble because you're not listening to God. God's speaking and you're not listening and you find yourself in trouble. Don't allow the deeds of your past to chain you to your past. God does not want what is worse for you. God wants what's best for you. God wants to forgive your sins, your deeds, and set you free. Now, God was working in Joseph's life. He rejected revenge. But there's a second question. Why didn't Joseph reconcile immediately with his brothers? He forgave them in the years of plenty, but he didn't, doesn't reconcile immediately. You know, there's a great statement here that we talked about in our sermon prep team that we should run to forgiveness, but don't rush into reconciliation. What does that mean? Run to forgiveness, but don't rush into reconciliation. So I want to, I want to take a few minutes and talk about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, because I know there's somebody in the room today or somebody watching online that's wrestling with forgiveness struggling with reconciliation. So, so forgiveness. Forgiveness is required in the Bible. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, for if you forgive sins, those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. We are to forgive because God has, has forgiven us. If you're a believer and you've received Jesus Christ into your life, God's forgiven your sins. You've confessed them, God's forgiven them. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Forgiveness is required. Forgiveness is offered to all. I love what Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of them all. Forgiveness is required, forgiveness is offered. Reconciliation is different. Reconciliation is preferred, but not required. 
It's preferred, but not required. Now, what do I mean by that? Forgiveness requires one person. You can give someone forgiveness. You should give someone forgiveness. But reconciliation takes two people. And if that person that's harmed you or that you've harmed is not willing to reconcile, then you can't reconcile. You can forgive, but you can't reconcile. Now, reconcile is preferred, but reconciliation is restoring a broken relationship. It, it takes a process, and sometimes it takes a long process. Paul said it this way in Romans 12. If it is possible, say that with me. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, say that. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So as I think about reconciliation, and as I read these chapters of Genesis, again, chapter 42 through 50, it takes a while for this reconciliation process to play out. So I called my good friend, Steve Arneson, who's a great Christian counselor. And I said, Steve, help me understand all this stuff that's going on with Joseph and his brothers. Why did it take him so long to reconcile with his brothers? And Steve spoke these words to me. And he says, Joseph was guarding his heart. Joseph was guarding his heart. You know, when we've been hurt and harmed by someone, we need to offer them forgiveness. But we need to be careful and move slowly when it comes to reconciliation. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Sometimes we rush into reconciliation because we want everything to be the way it used to be. And there's a likelihood that things will never be the way they used to be. We need to forgive, run to forgiveness, go slowly into reconciliation. So as Joseph guards his heart, he tests his brothers. If you read the chapters, he gives them all these tests. He gives them food, but then returns their money. He keeps one of the half-brothers, Simon, in prison while he sends the other brothers back to Canaan. And why does he do that? I think he wants to see if his brothers are going to come back for Simon or leave him as a slave like they left him as a slave. It's a test. He has them plant a cup, a very a chalice in, in the youngest brother's bag. What's Joseph doing? He's testing their character. He's testing their integrity. He's testing their hearts. Have they really changed? Is it safe to reconcile with them? Is it safe to have a relationship with them? I can forgive them but am I going to get close to them again? Now, I believe that once he's sure of that, he becomes resilient with his plans for reconciliation. Now, just a little bit more on reconciliation. Three things. Reconciliation, if it's going to happen between you and another person, is going to require repentance. Reconciliation cannot happen without repentance. I love this statement. Reconciliation without repentance leads to repeated offenses. Steve, I think you helped write that one. Reconciliation without repentance leads to repeated offenses. I want to take a, a side trip here for a moment into Genesis in this story, a backstory of Joseph, and talk about one of his 
half-brothers. It's the third oldest of the, of the three of the 10 stepbrothers. His name is Judah. Judah was a murderer. He was a deceiver. It was Judah who came with the, with the idea to, to sell Joseph as a slave. Years later, after Joseph had been sold as a slave, Judah's firstborn son marries a woman named Tamar, but he dies. And so Judah's secondborn son marries Tamar, and, and, and he dies. And unwilling to risk another son to marry her, Judah abandons her. She's damaged goods. No one will have her, so he kicks her out of the family. In desperation, Tamar poses as a prostitute. Now, I told you a couple weeks ago, this, there's a lot of dysfunction in this story. There's a lot of stuff going on, and, and, and Judah is, is a bad guy, right? So Tamar poses as a prostitute. She tempts Judah, her father-in-law, to sleep with him, her, and, and he doesn't recognize her, and he does. And soon Tamar is discovered as being pregnant, and she's dragged to judgment before Judah. Enraged, he condemns her to death. But before the death sentence can be carried out, Tamar produces evidence that Judah is the father. His sin has caught up with him. I want you to hear that. His sin has caught up with him. Our sins will catch up with us, right? And so his sin catches up with him and everybody wants to see what he's going to do. And maybe it's because of him selling his brother into slavery all those years ago that's been weighing on him. Maybe it's Tamar, but his hard shell breaks. And with profound repentance, he confesses before everyone, she is more righteous than I. That's a profound statement for a Jewish man to make. In fact, Judah is the first man in the Bible to publicly confess a sin. And by confessing that sin, it changes his life forever. And so fast forward to when the brothers come before Joseph and they're guilty, it appears, of committing crimes. It is Judah that steps forward in chapter 44. Then Judah stepped forward and said, please, my Lord, let your servant just say one word to you. Please do not be angry with me, even though as you, uh, you are as powerful as Pharaoh himself. See, I believe that Judah wanted to repent of the harm that he had caused his brother just like he repented of the harm that he caused Tamar. Reconciliation requires repentance. Reconciliation requires a changed heart. You can't reconcile with someone whose heart has not changed. And Judah's heart has changed. Reconciliation requires a changed behavior. Now, again, it was Judah who came up with a plan to sell Joseph into slavery. But whenever... Joseph is going to keep Benjamin, the youngest, as a slave and send the brothers back to Canaan. This is what Judah said. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. Let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see anguish this would cause my father. See, Judah has repented. He has a heart change, and his behavior has changed. Now, reconciliation is happening between 
Joseph and his brothers. 22 years of pain, of harm, forgiveness and reconciliation is going on. But it's important to note that Joseph also kept his boundaries with his brothers. He didn't live with them. He didn't work with them. He kept some distance from them because he's still letting the reconciliation process work itself out. In the midst of all of this, Joseph reveals God's ultimate purpose, that our God never stops working. These brothers expected to be blasted by Joseph, but Joseph is getting ready to bless them. Maybe you came this morning feeling guilty about your sins and you expected God to blast you. Maybe you're listening online and you think, man, you don't know what I've done. I deserve to be blasted by God. God wants to bless you by giving you forgiveness, by showing you grace, by showing you mercy, by giving you a dream that will not only change your life, but change the world that you live in. This is what Joseph said to his brothers when he revealed himself in Genesis 45. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive. Remember that blessing he gave to Abraham? He sent me ahead to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many other survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. And then later on, after Jacob, the father dies, his brothers who are still in the, in the process of reconciliation become fearful. They think that since Jacob, the father has died, that Joseph is going to now kill his brothers. So in chapter 50, we have these famous words. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so you can bless all the families of the earth. Joseph, I put you in this place so you can bless the families of the earth. You see, our God has the power to bring redemption from pain, redemption from brokenness. Evil keeps messing up God's plan to bless the earth, and God keeps taking what the enemy intends for evil and turning it into good. I want to close with a story this morning. David Bennett sent me a link to a video about the story of Inky Johnson. Inky was born on the east side of Atlanta, surrounded by crime and drugs and gang violence. He grew up in his grandmother's two-bedroom house with 14 people sleeping on the floor with the roaches and the rats. At a young age, Inky decided he didn't want to be a part of a gang. He didn't want to sell drugs. So he and his cousin every night would run in the streets working out because Inky had a dream. Inky wanted to become an NFL football player so he could rescue his family out of poverty. So he worked every night running up and down the streets, not in crime, but just to get to be an athlete, to be, to be discovered. And sure enough, one evening when he was running, a football coach saw him. And that football coach put him on the high school football team. And it was a couple years later that Inky received a full football scholarship to the University of Tennessee. And throughout college, he was always told that he was too small 
to play in the NFL. And when his college career was over, he would go back to Atlanta and he would become a drug dealer and he would be just like his uncles. But Inky had a dream. He worked hard, harder than anybody else on the team. And in his junior year, his coach called to say that he was now projected to be a top 30 pick in the NFL draft. And next season, he would become a multimillionaire and he could rescue his family out of poverty. But everything changed in the second game of his junior year. In the fourth quarter, the last two minutes to go in the game against the Air Force Academy, a routine tackle turned into a life-threatening injury. He was rushed into surgery. His dreams of playing the NFL were shattered. His right arm and hand were paralyzed. His dreams were broken, but not his mission. God still had a purpose for Inky's life. He got a master's degree in sports psychology, became an author and a motivational speaker. And he gives what is called Ink Inspirations. It's one of my favorites. He wrote, some of my greatest lessons in life came from pain. And the thing I've learned is the ability to learn is a gift, even if pain is your teacher. You see, Inky's career changed, but not his mission. His mission was to inspire. His mission was to change the world. He wrote this, it's easy to follow God when God says yes. It's easy to follow God when God's blessing, but it's hard to follow God when God says no. When your dreams change. After Inky got out of the hospital, his dad, who he had not been close to, volunteered to take care of him. So Inky's dad came and stayed at Inky's house. And one night Inky was praying in his bedroom and his dad stopped by his bedroom door. His dad was not a believer, had not been in his life until this time. And his dad said, Inky, you know that God that you study at that Bible study I drive you to on Fridays? You know that God? Inky said, yes, sir. He said, Inky, you know that God that I hear about when you go to FCA on Monday when I take you there? That God? He says, yes, sir. He said, Inky, if that's the God that's helping you get through this stuff that you're going through, I want to believe in him. I want to give him my life. I want to become a follower of Jesus like you are. Inky was asked more than once, would you trade an NFL career, multi-millions in dollars for your dad's salvation? He said, absolutely not. God put me on the earth to help save my family, to help turn my family around. See, God put Joseph on the planet to help save his family, to help turn them around. And God puts you here for a reason. See, God helped Inky Johnson. God helped Joseph. God helped Judah. And I believe that God wants to help you. Maybe you're in a pit. Maybe you're in a prison. Maybe evil has derailed your dreams. But God has the power to transform the harm that has been done to you into good. Or this, if you've caused harm to someone else, God has the power to forgive you and turn that harm into good. The God who delivered Joseph is the God who's going to deliver you. 
The God who raised Jesus from the dead when evil intended to destroy God's plan can give you new life. The God who took the mess of a dysfunctional family and gave Joseph a mission can give you a mission as well. I want to pray for you this morning. Maybe you're a Judah and you need to seek forgiveness. You've caused harm. You've caused hurt. You can't let it go. But God can wash it away. And God can begin to change your life and turn that harm to good. Maybe you're a Joseph and you've been harmed, you've been hurt. God wants to help you forgive and even forget the harm. Earlier this week, I was talking to an 80-year-old woman on the phone and she was talking about the hurt she has in her life from her broken relationship with a daughter. And I sent her a devotion yesterday and she's listening this morning online. And I told her that God wants to help you be healed of the harm and the hurt to forgive and even forget by the grace of God. Father God, I I thank you that this morning you're wanting to minister to your people, people that are hurting, people that have been harmed, people that are broken. And I pray that by your grace and your mercy, you would give them the strength they need, that you would give them the, the, the confidence that your power is greater than any evil that has happened to them. That you have the power to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it into good. And Father, for that person here today that has done some things that they don't feel they can be forgiven for, that if we confess our sins that you say, Father, no matter what those sins are, that you will forgive us and you will cleanse us. So I pray for forgiveness right now. I pray for those who need to give forgiveness. And I pray, Father God, that we would have confidence that you have the power to turn evil into good. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.